music. It's not just part of our daily lives, it's part of our wrestling fandom as well, and it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in, Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling, hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungi here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I am your host, Tyler Fornes, and with me, as always, is Fred. Watch out for flu season, Moreland. How are you, sir? Doing well. How are you? You know what? I've got my dogs here, and I'm a happy guy. So Hey, that's always good. It's hard to be unhappy with the puppers around, but yeah. we, have a, we have a lot to talk about here today, sir. We do. We got a... A good bit of news to go over, uh, not too much, just a touch, and uh, we got to talk Wrestle Dream, and honestly, we got to talk a little dynamite too. I think, but mm-hmm. all in good time, all in good yes. time. We, uh, I, I would like to continue our streak of talking about uh, football, if that's all right. Absolutely. As we finish up a, uh, as I finish up a Yuma Yagi uh, Kinto Miyahara match in the background. Um. Well, I think uh, we could do this for about 10 minutes. I think we'll be good. Uh, I have to ask you the most important question I can think of when it pertains to American football, though, which is uh, how about them Wildcats? Wow. No, um, we're not going to talk football. Yeah, we're going to talk about it. Um, so the Kentucky Wildcats defeated the Florida Gators, uh, someone's favorite team. Did you go to Florida? Is that your your gimmick? or? Um, I got into Florida, but... It was too expensive, like because gotcha. I live in Minnesota. It was like in 2008, it was forty thousand a year out of state tuition. That's a Not lot good. of money. That's <laughs> a lot of money. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, um, Kentucky looked uh, for the basically the first time all year uh, offensively capable. And uh, are yeah. they actually good? I don't think so. Um, okay, <laughs> I think they're fine. I don't think they're good, but yeah. I, I use good in a like a subjective term. Um, one of the big issues with Florida is they, they lack discipline. They had a lots of penalties. They had a special teams penalty that ended up resulting in seven points for the Wildcats. They were not sound fitting the run and filling gaps. Oh, yeah. They could not stop the run at all. Uh, it was bad enough that a graphic appeared on TV mentioning <sighs> that uh, it was Ray Black, I think, that was the running back for Kentucky. Ray Davis. Ray Davis, sorry, uh, had had garnered more rushing yards than Shipwreck Sawyer from 1930. Yep. So anytime you get a Shipwreck Sawyer reference on TV, it's probably not going well for Florida. (laughs) Hey, I will say on that graphic was Minnesota Vikings legend Mo Williams. And that's always a good good thing to talk about. But Yeah. yeah, it was Florida's lack of discipline killed them. 
And yeah. it was honestly that simple. But the lack of discipline equated directly to the running game, equated directly to penalties, and they could not overcome it. And it's hard to overcome those things. So yeah, Florida was never supposed to be really good this year. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still disappointing. And Graham Mertz can go eat shit. I am... <laughs> Jack, I know you're listening. I, I hate Graham Mertz. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I Sorry, let me rephrase that. I don't know the person, and I, I'm not going to actually judge oh, no, the person. I, I think, it, I I think we all assume. his performance on the football field. Oh, yeah, we, it sucks. Uh, don't worry. George is going to take care of Kentucky this weekend and uh, probably embarrass him. But, I mean, it's not really like Georgia Will last they? year. So, I Georgia's, think they probably will. Is Georgia actually good? Uh, I don't Their know if Georgia is actually good. good. Yeah, well, I think they, they're living off of reputation from yeah. last year. I don't think they're actually good. Fair enough. I, I think they're probably still the top team in the SEC East, though. I yeah, mean, they, I mean, the SEC East kind of blows. Yeah, I mean, it is. Uh, I think Missouri is probably the actual best, second best team outside of Georgia. Or best team outside of Georgia, I should say. Yeah, Tennessee sucks. Uh, South Carolina played really well against Georgia, but they couldn't pull it out. And then they end up losing by 21 to Tennessee, which cost me and my um, ATS uh, bets. But what can you do? Uh, Vanderbilt also still sucks. Um, oh, yeah. To, like, Kentucky else? genuinely has an argument to be the second best SEC East team, which is, uh, you know, this isn't a great year for that to be the case. <laughs> So, like, no. Every once in a while, that could happen. But Kentucky is is definitely flawed. They barely got past Eastern Kentucky. Um, I, I wanted to ask you also. Um, I know we already talked about Duke being real, but Duke's real. <laughs> like, yep. Duke's a legit top twenty team, and uh, that's pretty damn cool, frankly. As yeah, a, it, as a Duke hater, frankly. Uh, and now Duke football and Duke college basketball, in my opinion, are completely different. Completely so. different. They, they've been bad for so long in uh, college football that it's cool that they're good at uh, when, it, when it happens. I'll never forget. Uh, it was either Chris Weber or Jalen Rose on the Fab Five documentary said, oh, sure, they recruit black people, but they don't really recruit black people. Something like that because they recruit the, the, the rich guys. And in their words, the white black people. Like, yeah. It's – they just give you so many reasons to hate. And they're just – stuck up it it just but the football team doesn't give you any of those vibes no Mainly not at because all. they've sucked for 30 years yeah like like when they're good it's, it's a surprise uh i'll always remember the elton brand email from when he went to duke and became the first duke player to leave early because he did so after his uh freshman year in like 99 and mm-hmm. some some student there got all uh, up in their feelings and sent him an email about how he wasn't a real Duke player. And he basically wrote, wrote back and told him to kick rocks. So good on him. Well, he had a successful pro career and now he has a successful M- NBA management career. So yeah. good for Elton brand. Yeah. he He's, he's good. He's good. Um, pack 12 is uh, ridiculously good this year. And oh, yeah. right when it's dying and um who you know? This is a tough one because, frankly, I don't think there's a clear-cut answer. But just in your estimation, who do you think is the best team in that conference this year? Washington. You're going uh, Washington. Washington. Yeah, I don't. Maybe Oregon. Um, I don't think it's USC. The offense is great. The defense is an abomination to God. 
uh, just like it was last year. So I I really can't trust USC's defense at all. Um, Colorado was a 24 and a half point underdog at um, when the line opened last week and then was a 21 point dog at kickoff and they lost by seven. It took a hell of a comeback to get there. USC got up 28. Mm-hmm. Or no, it's uh, 27 points. And then Colorado rattled off three straight touchdowns. Alex Grinch's defenses suck. Can't trust USC. If Utah actually had Cam Rising, I think Utah might be the best team in this conference. But they've been without Rising with Torres ACL in the Rose Bowl last year. He yeah. hasn't played once. I think he's going to play after the bye week this week. But it's it's a tough call because the yeah, top and, of this and Utah's is big good. issue has been scoring. Like their offense has been moribund this whole season. So mm-hmm. yeah, and it's been because they just don't have that kind of consistency at quarterback, and they don't have yeah. the weapons on the outside to be able to compensate for that. Sometimes you have a subpar quarterback, but you have great weapons. And in college, you can get away with that to an extent. Just look at some of those great Alabama teams of the last decade. They haven't had the best quarterbacks historically. And they've yeah. been fine because they have the talent on the outside and then on the offensive line. Utah doesn't have that talent on the outside. They're, they're, one of their starting wide receivers, his name is Money Parks. The, the name is as absurd as how average he is. Oh, that's a like, shame because if you have that name, you should be like a future superstar. <laughs> like It's just mm-hmm. not right otherwise. Um uh, yeah, I, I, you know, Bama, I don't think is, uh, they're probably a bottom of the top 10 team ish at best. Um, they're ranked 11th right now. And honestly, that seems based fine. on some of their performances. I think it's too high. It might be a bit too high. That's fair. Uh, Colorado, who everybody loves to talk about, I guess now, um, I don't know. I'm looking at their schedule right now and it's looking like they should end up with, uh, what? Seven wins, maybe eight, if they can pull off an upset. But I don't think that they're better than any of the ranked uh, Pac-12 teams. The problem with Colorado is not the top-end talent. The top-end talent is as good as anybody in the Pac-12. It's the The lines. The problem is the depth and Mm -hmm. the trenches. They got the skill players. Now they need to spend this offseason investing heavily in the trenches. And if you're able to get Shitter Sanders back, you'll have Xavier Weaver and Jimmy Horn Jr. and Travis Hunter. Yeah, that running back Dylan Edwards is a true freshman. So you have dudes. And with the way this quarterback class is shaping up with the NFL draft, Fred, there's a realistic chance a guy like Shedder Sanders stays because why would you want to be at fighting for a best the third quarterback spot? Yeah. You may want to be the, the top guy in 2025. And with NIL, you don't have to jump to get money. Hell, his dad is Deion Sanders. He's fine. Yeah, he's going to get paid. He's going to get paid just fine uh, as a NLI guy. Um, or NIL, I always mix that up because of a national letter of intent. Um, yeah. I will yes. say the one team that I will continuously tell people to watch because they are fun and they are talented, Arizona. Arizona is fun now. They're coming back, man. They're coming back. Jed Fish has done a great job of rebuilding this program. And when you look at Arizona, they have really good players at receiver. Uh, Jacob Cowling is going to be a top 100 draft pick this year. Tetairoa McMillan is my dude. He could be wide receiver one in 2025. Jaden Delora isn't necessarily a good quarterback, but he's like those run and shoot quarterbacks from Hawaii. 
where they're like fun bad, where they're just going to chuck it up and throw for a bunch of yards, but they're going to throw a ton of picks too. That's yeah. Delora. And Michael Wiley, the running back, he's going to end up being a draft pick. I really like him as a sleeper. Their left tackle, Jordan Morgan, 6'7", like 320. He's probably going to go in the first round. Like, there's talent on that team, considering how they were basically dog shit for the better part of 10 years when they had guys coming in. They're like Kevin Sumlin and Rich Rod coaching. Jetfish has righted the ship, and they've used the transfer portal incredibly well to help reshape that program. And they're in a much, much better spot now than they have been in a long time. Uh, two more things I want to touch on. One was uh, the blood week in the FCS. Um, lots of ranked teams uh, eating shit that week. Um, last week, I should say. Um, all a uh, bunch of upsets by unranked teams. Uh, the powers in that. Um, two, um, Trent Dilfer not having a good time as the uh, coach of UAB just uh, does not seem to be up to it so far, at least maybe he can write that ship, but the, the desperate attempt at a uh, celebrity coach a la Dion only it doesn't work uh, is not a great look. Yeah, it's, it's not the best look, but at the end of the day, eh, whatever. Uh, and I guess I will ask you, uh, you know, I'm always a fan of underdogs, small conference teams, and so forth. Marshall is my favorite team. Um, How far are you from Marshall? Uh, not a couple hours. I could, I could make the jaunt if I had, you know, a motivation. Okay. Um, who do you think is the best uh, group of five team this year? Ooh, that's a great question. Because um, I don't I, think there's I, a real clear cut like Cincinnati a couple years ago kind of deal, you know. There's no uh, – this team could make the playoff kind of team. But yeah. Fresno State is really good. They've done a great job rebuilding that. Um, it Not even a rebuild, but retooling after Jake Hayner and Jalen Cropper and Nico Remigio left last year. You got Mikey Keene, who was the backup at uh, UCF, and he lost the job to John Rice Prumley, uh, who is a stud on my college fantasy football team, by the way. 50-teamer. I'm 5-0. and oh. I'm in a 52 football league. Yeah, and I'm five and zero, oh, baby. My receivers can't shit, but I've won every game by with by less than five points. I am, I am the I'm the 2022 Minnesota Vikings this year. I'm just winning close games. But yeah, so they got Mikey Keene, who honestly I thought was a better quarterback, but Rice Plumlee was better for the system because Malzahn really likes to do a lot of running stuff with the quarterback position, and Keene's a passer. So they. Hey, Brought him in. Jalen Gill has turned into a great uh, player in that Nico Remigio role. And they're running through teams. They're 5-0 and right now. I'm a big Texas State fan. Texas State taken over by G.J. Kinney, who was the head coach at Incarnate Word. Um, I'm shocked he, he only got the Texas State job and didn't get something more high profile because of what he is. But sometimes you just have to, um, when you're making the jump from FCS, you have to take a smaller job. And he's done a great job with that program. They're four and one on the year, and they're four and one against the spread as well. Their only loss against the spread was against Nevada. They were down 17 nothing. They were favored by 17 points. And they they scored 35 in a row and allowed a garbage time touchdown for Nevada to cover. I was very upset because I had I'd been betting Texas State all year and I made a lot of money. Um, but I'd probably have to give it to Fresno State. They are an excellent football team and. I thought I'd be saying this about UTSA, but 
Uh, UTSA has dealt with a bunch of injuries, especially to quarterback Frank Harris, who just continues to have to deal with the knee problem. And it's, it honestly sucks for him. I feel bad. I will plug Marshall because they are undefeated, though it's kind of bullshit undefeated. <laughs> they have been very fortunate to get to that record, but they've done it against some tough teams. So uh, then again, uh, winning by four against Albany is not exactly a shining example, uh, but they did beat a really struggling Virginia Tech team by touchdown and uh, uh, not terrible Dominion team, I think, by six. So I don't know. They are undefeated. They're one of the last 15-ish teams to be undefeated. I'm not sure how much longer that'll last because they are going to uh, North Carolina State this weekend when North Carolina State does not suck. So, yeah, yeah, but North Carolina State also isn't good. Yeah, that is true. That is true. They could pull off another like five point win and just keep the nonsense going. Uh, James Madison also worth mentioning in this space. I feel like. Yeah, James Madison's really good, and because they're trans transitioning from the FCS, which I think is a stupid bullshit rule. It is a stupid rule, but they can, they're, they're not in, eligible for anything. No, like you're going up, you're not going down. Like let them let them play in a bowl game. Well, so okay, so if there aren't enough six and six teams to play in bowl games, they're eligible, but they're not eligible straight up, and that sucks. James Madison's really good. They are. All right. I think that's enough football here. I don't, I don't even feel like getting into the NFL this week. Um, unless you want to drop anything real quick, but let's do well, the I'll wrestling s- stuff. I'll say this. Want. The Vikings played the chiefs this week and I'm not looking forward to it. Uh, you know, the NFL can be so stu- stupid. Sometimes they could win by 10 and I wouldn't even blink. It's just, you know, yeah, you're probably right, but you're also wrong. So yeah, <laughs> they shouldn't, they're not better, but you know, it can happen. Just weird stuff can happen. All right. Wrestling is a thing we talk about on this podcast. And I'm not like picking Tyler's brain uh, for the good <laughs> of the public and also just for my own entertainment. Um, let's talk a little bit news about AEW. There's not very much this week, but uh, there's some notable stuff going on. First of all, uh, Dave Meltzer on the F4W board uh, did say that he knows more wrestlers in AEW that are interested in going to WWE than he did two months ago. Um, you know, I think that there's going to be a lot of intrigue over there in the locker room about how Jade Cargill gets treated when she gets debuted, uh, if she gets booked well and everything. Um, yep. Cody making that jump definitely got treated like a big superstar that even if I think WWE kind of fumbled the bag with him in the booking, um, but you know, they haven't made him look like a full, I will say, um, main event of WrestleMania, notwithstanding. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I think we're approaching a point where there's definitely going to be some jumps. Um, I mean, of course, edge just made the jump to AEW, Uh, and that's what makes, you know, a two major company. Tyler, did you just beef it? No, um, <laughs> my dogs are on the other end of my uh, sectional, um, chewing on bones, and one of the bones just fell to the floor. All right, well, that's all it is. Then it's all good. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I think we're in a position where you know it's very much going to be people jumping, and I think the, at least as far as the health of AEW is concerned, I think the biggest thing they have to make sure of is that uh they don't lose key players you know i mean uh, that sounds kind of obvious but they need to identify you know who really matters to them like i'm super high on daniel garcia uh personally 
if they don't think that he's worth it, then they're not going to make that offer to him. And, you know, he could end up in WWE. I think AEW will work much better for him because he's more of a smaller work rate guy. And that kind of goes against WWE's preferences. But, you know, at the same time, you got to get paid. You know, and if he gets a better offer from WWE, he's definitely going to have to consider it, just as an example. Um, but there, there's foundational guys like, you know, I think, uh, you know, obviously like MGF would be a bad jump. Uh, there sounds like that there is an extension signed of some length a while back. Um, Ricky Starks, I think, would be a big blow. And mm-hmm. then you have all the established stars. Like, obviously, I, I'm not like holding my breath that Moxley's going to make a jump, but, you know, you wouldn't want to lose someone of his caliber. Moxley um, signed to a four-year deal. Yeah. So, and, and like Kingston's obviously sticking around since he just got a four-year deal. But, you know, if they lose like a young talent that is on the come up, you know, um, there's already some, I think, kind of foolish comparisons that, you know, WWE is getting younger while AEW is getting older, which is true in a way because they signed like Edge, who was not previously available to them. Uh, but I mean, like, we're starting from a point where AEW already had a younger roster of push guys than mm-hmm. WWE. Um, and if you look at, um, <laughs> there was a pretty ridiculous article on, uh, USA Network about um, their, their their website, uh, their PR arm, about how uh, WWE had just made a massive move by signing, wait for it, Brian Pillman Jr., <sighs> which was a, a fantastic piece of propaganda. <laughs> um, but, they're, you know, they got some people believing it, which is amazing because having watched a decent bit of Brian Pillman Jr., mm, Stain it. Have, just, have you have you ever watched the show The Newsroom, Fred? Um, I'm aware of it, but I have not, sadly. Okay, one you need to watch. I it should, and, I know. And, and never listen to our friend Iron Mike Spears talk about Aaron Sorkin. I just need to point that out. I'll bury Aaron Sorkin from some of the clips I've seen, but I can, I can honestly uh, say I've never sat down and watched a Sorkin show. High so. high recommend. Oh, one, if you haven't, you need to watch the West Wing. It's absolutely phenomenal. Two, the newsroom is 26 episodes, they're about an hour each. But they they basically take a guy who he's he's like a a Tucker Carlson Anderson Cooper he's a cable news anchor and oh they dropped their second bone and bone down yep so he was just so focused on ratings and then he gets this new executive producer and they decide to do the news and and um, they go after the Tea Party because this was made in like the early 2010s so the Tea Party was just really coming around and they talk about rhinos and it's like Republican in name only. Right. Yeah. And that that's kind of what Brian uh, Pillman jr. Is he's, he's like a, a, like a star in name only because his dad's was Brian Pillman. (laughs) Like that, that's, that's where I think some of this is coming from. And honestly, that article was written for SEO purposes only. And Mm -hmm. those are, like I do a lot of aggregation for my job. I don't like it, but it it by having the like aggregation style pieces, they pay the bills. But even I have limits. I won't write that. Come on, come on. It was. Uh, I hope the guy didn't pull anything stretching that much. But yeah, like look, I I can't rule out that maybe maybe he um, that Brian Pillman Jr. with a boost of confidence will. 
become a great worker and or a good, you know, a, a charismatic guy. And there were points in his run in AEW where he looked better than others. I remember he had a match against House of Black where he uh, he slipped on the ropes and botched a move pretty badly, and it felt like that was just the end of him having confidence in AEW. Maybe that's not a fair uh, diagnosis because he didn't get that many opportunities afterwards. Uh, but, it, you know, that's kind of the easy uh, story to draw with him. But I just, you know, I watched him when I uh, went to Dynamite back in January. He was one of the guys in the card, and I watched him closely because I was really interested in seeing his progression. And it felt like he had, if anything, uh, regressed. He, he just didn't look that uh, good in the ring, uh, like very comfortable with his steps, his footwork. Um, and I don't claim to be an expert on knowing what proper footwork looks like, but his kind of stuck out as kind of off kilter. I don't know. Maybe that was just a bad interpretation for me, but I'm just thoroughly unimpressed by the total uh, Brian Pillen package. And that was in basically, you know, uh, his honorary hometown, you know, like an hour and a half away from there. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, anyways, uh, Brian Pillman Jr. Just catching strays on this conversation. Well, uh, and you know what? It's not Brian Pillman Jr. The person it's Brian Pillman Jr. The professional wrestler who's just honestly, not very good, and I'm glad he's getting the payday in WWE. Yeah, good for him to get paid. Um, always get paid. Um, yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, you know, something to watch. It could definitely, I mean, if, you know, worst case scenario of multiple major or future stars jumping would be bad for AEW. Not like the company is now dead bad, but like, it's not what you want to have happen, obviously, so... But we'll watch that because, you know, there could be major news at the end of this year. And uh, it's up mm -hmm. to Tony Khan to make sure they don't uh, don't lose that business or don't lose those business movers. Yeah, I think jumps overall are good and healthy for the business. But at the end of the day, I think it's all depending on who jumps and how mm -hmm. many. Like if you had the New Japan jump of Nakamura, the Good Brothers and AJ Styles all at once, that's bad. Uh, yeah. And it, New Japan is obviously structured in a way to be able to be just fine from that, be, especially because I, I don't I couldn't tell you how big of a ticket mover AJ Styles was, but we know Nakamura was a big ticket mover, and the yeah. Good Brothers were were great pieces to have in that, but they weren't moving tickets. Uh, no. But they had guys ready to step up, Kenny Omega, Kota Ibushi, uh, and they were prepared for it. AW, I think, would be fine in the sense that they'd be prepared for it. But perception-wise in America is a lot different than perception-wise in Japan. Mm -hmm. So it could be real bad for them. Yeah, so we'll watch the space. Um, you know, uh, and, and, of course, it's all timing, too. If they lose, like, four guys over the course of a year, it looks not as bad as four guys at once. So, mm -hmm. you know, that'll play a role, too. Uh, but let's move on. I want to talk about some injuries because uh, Wrestle Dream uh, was a little brutal. Um, now Ray Phoenix, uh, you know, looked pretty damn good. I think in Dynamite this past week with a fantastic match against Nick Jackson. I went four and a half on that bad boy in an early start on the uh, Dynamite Dozen for this coming year. Cheap plug. Um, but you know, he did say that he's been dealing with an old injury that was uh, reaggravated back at Grand Slam when he won the title. Um, Excalibur mentioned on air the possible curse of the international championship post Orange Cassidy. Um, you know, 
hopefully Phoenix is feeling better. You know, you could tell he was still kind of ginger at points and he worked it well into his selling, I think, but you know, hopefully he's doing all right. Uh, two other major concerns off of uh, WrestleDream. Darby Allen may have hurt an arm. He was in a sling at the uh, presser afterwards. Um, I guess it was a good sign that he was at the presser, not the hospital. Um, but, you know, hopefully he, he did not appear on Dynamite this week. Hopefully he's doing okay, but there's a possibility that he could be missing some time there. And uh, Mark Davis, uh, according to his Twitter, broke his wrist, uh, which sucks. Uh, but it also explains some of the stuff going on in the tail end of their match with FTR, where it just looked like he could not lift anyone with one of his arms. The fact that Darby hasn't really been hurt his entire run in AEWs and damn miracle. The, some yeah. of the bumps he's taken, the bumps he took against Christian were mm-hmm. astronomically nuts. And even yes. like for Darby Allen, they were nuts. Christian missed the spot where that he was he was throwing him on the actual steps and not like the top of the, st- the steel steps. He told Christian to do it again. And Christian did it again. Ah, oh, yeah, that those spots were like Samoa Joe diving down the the stairs at Bound for Glory against Sting, where he landed on his hip, and it felt like a, after that he just kind of was never the same. But man, I don't want Darby to get hurt. I'm not wishing Darby to get hurt. I'm honestly floored that Darby hasn't gotten hurt. Yeah, just gotta hope that he uh, continues to be healthy, but. You know, I, I typically think the uh, the you know concern sometimes about bumps people take is a little much because they're professional wrestlers; they know what their body can take. Uh, but Darby is the exception where I sometimes do uh, worry about him. Um, I think he just goes a little too far sometimes. I worry about the long term um, long term uh, ramifications of some of these pumps bumps excuse me uh that he is taking um mark davis i assume will be out i mean we got Z- uh kyle fletcher and you know it also appears that maybe sam Guevara is a little banged up since he did not wrestle in a planned match uh, last night uh so that's another one to watch for uh zach saber jr uh challenged brian danielson to a rematch in either england or japan so hopefully we get that match again because uh that match ruled on Wrestle Dream. Um, I know you haven't watched it yet. Somehow, you fool. Uh, but <laughs> it was uh, a fantastic, Listen, easy five stars. I passed out while watching the rest of the show last night, and then I'm like, okay. I woke up on the couch. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll wake up around seven thirty. I'll finish the show. It won't be good. I will look at my phone. It's eight fifty. I'm like, fuck. It's okay. I say just quit your job and just watch wrestling. <laughs> That's yeah, a good um, idea. listen, my wife makes a good amount of money. She doesn't make that much money. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like. Not, not a serious suggestion, but you yeah. do need to watch that for next week, man, because it's oh, so I good. Oh, I will be watching it. Don't you worry. Um, good. Don't you worry. Um, Next up, uh, AEW is, uh, there's apparently interest both from AEW and from Katsuhiko Nakajima in a possible deal. Um, a fantastic performer who can't, uh, apparently could not keep himself from getting into hot water and Noah. Um, but you know, that is intriguing if nothing else. Uh, 
you know, it's curious, I think, to see what how he would fit into the AEW roster and what role he would be put in. Uh, but, you know, he's a legendary guy from Japan, you know, and uh, great worker. Um, never got a real main event push sustained there sometimes for, you know, the, the reason of uh, knocking out his opponents on accident and sometimes maybe not so much accident. So uh, I don't know. Maybe we just get him together with Roosh and teach him how to be a model citizen. <clears throat> Look, bring in Nakajima. You have to try. Yeah. Like, dude, Nakajima would rule in this company. Are you kidding? Just uh, imagine the, the fun and ridiculous matches that he could have. And then you could potentially have more crossover with New Japan because AEW and New Japan are like their partner companies. Hell, you could send Nakajima to CMLL, let him face off against Atlantis Jr. and Mascara Dorada. That'd be fun as hell. Like, bring in Nakajima. I need it. I I need it for many, 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 many reasons. And finally, uh, Julia Hart and Lee Johnson are taking time off reportedly, if not now, then very soon for their wedding and honeymoon. So congratulations to the happy couple. And uh, yeah, get some time to yourselves. Take some time. Yeah, um, good for them. And we're going to talk about Julia Hart because I was very impressed with Julia Hart against Chris Statlander. That match ruled. It was great. It was yeah. Definitely overachieved from my expectations and good on them for pulling it off. Remember when I said that I thought that it was going to be a, like I, I was at like an eight, I think, to see it because I was really intrigued on how they would both work. Yeah, it over-delivered and yeah. I, I was very happy with it. Yeah, so cool stuff from them. Um, well, I guess it's time to talk about the pay-per-view. Now, I uh, I didn't take many notes for it because I was reviewing it for VoicesOfWrestling.com. Um, and, uh, but this was, I mean, just once again, just the, uh, the uh, AEW delivers on pay-per-view rule uh, provides true again or proves true again. Um they uh just a great show um top to bottom for the most part you know the pre-show was solid at points um you know i uh, definite highlight was uh because i let's i you know i don't know how you want to run through it but i gotta talk about you know bef- before i even get to josh barnett who i was starting to transition to there we gotta talk about the enoki tribute that opened the real air quotes pre-show because i skipped the half hour of uh renee and uh stokely talking uh but you know the the nice uh they did a nice little tribute to enoki with his grandchildren in the ring and then in look i will bury aw production a lot of the time because they can't not screw up audio or other stuff it's just kind of ridiculous yeah the number of missteps they have at some points given how long they've been doing this but having the grandchildren of antonio enoki in the ring doing the really nice, lovely stuff with the flowers and everything, doing the Ichi Nisad Sanda chant, which the crowd was not clued into whatsoever. Um, cutting then to Christian Cage watching the TV and seeing the uh, the grandchildren of the not too, you know, fairly recently deceased uh, Antonio Noki. They knew what they were doing. And it was very funny. I enjoyed that quite a bit. I'm glad you enjoyed that. And you know what I really enjoyed up this pre-show? 
Josh Barnett. Yeah, let's transition here because <laughs> we got to talk about Josh Barnett, who kind of a doof, but I love him for being such a doof. Um, so that I match really, was great. I the match really was great. Wish, let's not let that overshadow. But. Yes. I really wish, Fred, that we would have gotten Josh Barnett um, pretending to go after Jay White again. I need I, uh I'm just glad Jim Ross's bouncer got a booking. Good for him. Um, <laughs> I know that if I was on commentary out there, I would have been really biting my tongue to not make that joke. Because um, I'd be sitting right next to Jim Ross. And, you know, that would be pretty rude. But, yeah, it is 100%. Uh, I will always remember the... Uh, the, the Josh Barnett getting outraged at Jay White spot five years ago or whatever it is now. Um, but this match was great. It was a great uh, um, blood sport match. Um, it worked really well. And then afterwards, we got Josh Barnett putting over that young kid, Claudio Castanoli, who I think is the exact same age as Josh Barnett, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Uh, if not, they're very close in age. And, you know, obviously, because Josh Barnett's been doing the uh, MMA thing for most of his career. Claudia Why does Josh Barnett feel like he's 60 years old? <laughs> he I know carries he's himself like that. God, he feels like he's 60. Definitely carries himself like that. Claudio is three years younger than Josh Barnett. Um, Jeez. Okay. Uh, so they are about the same age. But, yeah, I mean, Josh Barnett put in over the young kid in an what I have to assume was a unscheduled promo where he just got the mic. It was like, Oh kid, you'll get there one day. <laughs> Claudio Castanoli <laughs> cracked me up so much. Um, I think Josh Barnett is very much up his butt, but you know, I, I enjoy it all the same. It adds yeah. with Josh Barnett. Yeah. I, I thought it was a nice little touch having him on the pre-show. I thought he worked really well with, Claudio as far as <laughs> excuse me um the elements of like power and I thought that was really cool um obviously we know Josh Barnett had that wonderful shoot match against Fujita over in Japan um the martial arts rules match right that's right um but I I think it's cool to have wrestlers like that who wrestle a really different style than everything else on your show because it gives you it gives you a different element, and I like that. Yeah. Um, I I thought it was a really nice style uh, change for the show, and it fit in really nicely with the Inoki history, and it was just good. It was a blast. Uh, the crowd got into it by the end because they worked really well. Um, Claudio turned out to be really good at that uh, style. Not a surprise. Um, and... Um, I liked it. I went four stars on it. Also really good on the pre-show, or pretty good on the pre-show, I should say, was the Fire Pro uh, Random Button 8-Man Memorial. Um, Athena and Billy Starks teaming with, naturally, as we all expected, Keith Lee and Satoshi Kojima to face off against Diamante Mercedes Martinez and the uh, two-man Shane Taylor promotions of Shane Taylor and Lee Moriarty. Uh, this was a fun match. I went three and a half on it, and uh, it was just really enjoyable. It was a nice opener. This pre-show was fun. 
it had good matches. It had weird matches. These two were weird matches. Yeah. But overall, it's hard to complain. You're getting people on the pre-show. You're giving them uh, unique spectacles, which I think is good for a pre-show because it kind of tells you, hey, if we're giving you this kind of uniqueness on the pre-show, imagine what you're going to get on the main card. I, I yeah. think that's smart business. I do, too. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I will say that um, the other two matches, less good. I mean, Luchasaurus beating Nick Wayne was just a straightforward match, uh, telling the story of Nick Wayne not being at that level yet and setting up uh, the turn later. And then also the... Um, and okay, I want to talk about the acclaimed a little bit. They don't suck. Uh, and I mean the proper claim, not including Billy Gunn. Billy Gunn is what he is at this age. I mean, he's a big jack guy that can kind of move. And so he's pretty limited as, as far as what he can do in the ring. But, like, I think the acclaimed are talented in the ring, but they've really fallen into uh, a very samey pattern of match. Um, and it's kind of frustrating with them. And, you know, as a, as a you know, a match quality geek, you know, I would like to see them do a little more. I do feel like TMDK pulled them out of that rut a little bit and helped them have a better version of the match they've been specializing in recently. Mm -hmm. uh, but I still was kind of like, uh, I wish this was better. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Bowens and Caster leave in-ring stuff on the table and have been doing it a lot this year after a pretty impressive uh, improvement at the tail end of last year. That's a really interesting take. I I think you're onto something, but I also think they haven't regressed. I think it's just Yeah, it's not a not I, a physical regression or anything. It's just what they do is just, you know, this and it's just mm -hmm. shtick. And like the shtick is fun and it's over as we get an on cam appearance of Odie, I believe. <clears throat> no, this is Eclair. Oh, right, Eclair. Henry? Yeah, she's a good girl. It's dog time, baby. Um mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's they can have better matches. They just haven't been, and uh, you know, which wish they had better matches. That's all. <clears throat> yes, I, I wish they would have better matches too. But at the end of the day, um, Eclair's happy with them, and that's what matters. Yeah. Speaking of wishing for better matches, uh, we finally get to the opener on the pay per view of MJF against the Righteous, and. Uh, Let's talk MJF, man, because it's, you know, it's here. It's time. Um, I like the Righteous. I wish the Righteous were getting a bigger push. They got a decent push over the past couple weeks to set them up for the spot. But one, this still felt very much like a, a pay-per-view opener rather than a main event. And to have mm -hmm. the world champion in that spot is Stupid. weird. Yeah, it's not a good usage of him, I think. And two, man, the... This babe face MJF stuff, you know, I was talking back before all in about how they could have made him. I really felt like he could have been the biggest baby face in wrestling if they had set it up where he was betrayed by Adam Cole. And regardless of winning or losing that match under those circumstances, yeah. would have been had the crowd 100% behind him and we would have had a good storyline. And unfortunately, they didn't do that. They just kept him as buddies. And what we've got since then has been, I think, a creative failure. Um, I, I think it's still over to some extent in the building, but I don't think it's really translating to <laughs> ratings or to um, or to uh, 
you know, um, ticket sales, especially the ticket sales for AW have been pretty rough at points. But the, you know, it's just very frustrating because we all know how good MJF is, and it just feels like he's doing bottom barrel, you know, Hulk Hogan impersonations, and it's not working properly, and it's not a success. And I, you know, I love MJF as a performer. I just wish that he, uh, you know, that he was uh, doing better, you know, doing better stuff and doing more entertaining, creative stuff. Yeah. MJF doing this bit sucks ass. I hate it. I, I don't care if people want to have this be like, uh, what do you call it? Um, like, my brain is absolutely fried, Fred. But they wanted it to be WWE without Vince McMahon. Well, that's what they're getting. And quite frankly, those of us who don't want WWE hate this shit. And I think there are a lot of people who watch AEW that don't want WWE with this product. They We just don't. We want it to be a good wrestling show. We want it to be what AEW was early on. AEW early on kicked ass. AEW was a wrestling promotion. We didn't get these stupid vignettes. These vignettes can all go to hell. And you extrapolate that with what this match was. It, it just feels like the MJF vanity hour. And I absolutely hate it. Why in the world would I just want to watch MJF do stupid shit? And, and it's not even like Darby Allen kind of stupid shit where Darby's just doing all kinds of insane stuff in the ring and taking these weird, crazy bumps. It's little things like the kangaroo kick. Dude, the kangaroo kick is so offensive. Like, it's and then the Outback Steakhouse gimmick with the Australian team, Aussie Open, offensive. Like, come on. Like, what are we doing here? Like, I, I, just, I just hate this. And there's nothing redeeming about this, Fred. Absolutely nothing redeeming about it. MJF should just go back to ripping on each other, doing the cheap heat. Uh, uh, make fun of local sports team and then rip the opponent with a, a story about his his childhood. Go back to that. This fucking sucks. And if you like it, I'm glad you like it. And you and that's completely fine. I'm happy for you. It still fucking sucks. End of rant. Yeah, I thought that. Um... In particular, using the righteous in the spot when they're not an established team, I think really did them wrong. I think it really made them look like goofballs in a um, in what could have been a big spot for them. And I think that uh, doing that to both them and Aussie Open, who were not established to an American audience yet, I think is going to hurt them both. Um, and I think that it's not a good way to. Uh, Handle this, you know, handle this storyline, handle this, uh, this work. And, uh, you know, I just wish that they, uh, 
I don't know. I had had better ideas and better uh, usage of MJF because he's a talent. He's a great talent. I mean, he he finished tops in the um, thirty under thirty we did for a reason. I think he was number one on the Sports Illustrated one as well. It's obvious, like how good he is. But just, yeah, this ain't working. This ain't working at all. And, uh, you know, I thought that the, you know, it's getting to the point where, like, whenever he is on screen, I just groan. Um, And for someone like MJF, that absolutely cannot be the case. Fred, he's great, but he's doing shit. It's like watching a Leonardo DiCaprio film, The Revenant, that won him Best Actor. And then him going down and doing some community theater with people who don't know what they're doing and he sinks to their level. That's what this is. It's bottom feeder bullshit. It's really this uninspired. Is... Uh, no. It's not not something that I, uh, I'm excited to see at all. And, uh, you know, this Hulk Hogan-esque uh, main event style, like it kind of worked with Samoa Joe because Samoa Joe fit nicely into the... Uh, the monster thing, but all this shtick, like you can make wrestling fans chant, whatever. It's not that impressive because you're already over and wrestling fans just like chanting shit. You know, it's one of the more annoying things I think of the, uh, the ask, you know, the, the community or whatever, but well, you don't like them chanting, uh, John Cena sucks. Well, that that part's fine, but like tofu and all this stuff that just isn't interesting is never forget. I was the first one to call a wrestler tofu. Yeah, and uh, I think you should apologize if you inspired this. I think this this may uh, you may regret claiming that. Ugh. It was not meant for Jay White. Used incredibly poorly by MJF. Just yeah, brutal. Let's move on. I'm done talking about this bozo. All right, fair enough. Uh, next up, we got the, uh, as I closed out the tab, because I'm very good at doing this, uh, we got the true opener of the pay-per-view. Uh, Katsuyori Shibata and Eddie Kingston. This, you know, the Eddie Kingston I Love Japan tour is the absolute uh, opposite of the MJF I Love 80s WWF stuff. It works so well. I love it. I'm endlessly entertained by it. I thought this was a great hard-hitting match. And um, I went four and a half stars on it. I did not write very much about it for the review because, uh, I don't know, it's just two dudes beating the hell out of each other, and it's awesome. Eddie Kingston's run right now feels like a vanity project in a good way, where he's just wrestling a bunch of dudes in a style that he's just absolutely obsessed with growing up. And it's producing really good stuff. It, it is. Uh, the Jun Akiyama match, awesome. Um, Katsuyori Shibata, awesome. He goes to Japan and wins the strong openweight title against Kenta, awesome. The interactions with Toshiaki Kawada, awesome. And it, it's so many of these little things. And it, it's great because they're interworking his just passions and desires for the world of pro wrestling into canon. It rules so much. And I thought this was the best Shibata match he's had since his return. It he it felt like they were working a normal match, not a match around Shibata's head. 
the some of the spinning back fists actually landed like on the head and not the not the trapezius muscle like they usually do. This was great. Um, I gave it four and a half. I thought these two worked incredibly hard. They they beat the piss out of each other. And I thought at the end, I almost bought Shibata winning via submission. And then Eddie got out of it and hit a few moves, the Northern Lights bomb. And then you got the the power up on the uh, one count kick out. Then you had spinning back fist, the two count, and then the power bomb with the stack for, for the pin. It was honestly just very well done. And I, I really appreciated how quality this match was. Yeah, this was great. It was a nice uh, steer out, way to steer out of the rut with uh, the MJF match. And, uh, you know, just another uh, great pay-per-view match for Eddie Kingston. Yeah, Eddie Kingston rules. Um, next up, we had the aforementioned women's match, I believe, which was Julia Hart and Chris Statlander. We mentioned it before. This over-delivered. There was a, yeah. uh, a couple of small, like, I'm not even going to call them sloppy spots, but just not smooth. Yeah. Um, but they worked really hard. And Julia Hart is disgustingly young. I, I think she's 23 or 24 because she joined the company at 20. So she's got a, a long time ahead of her. Very, very good professional wrestler considering when she started. Julia, Julia is 21. Wait, she's 21 right now? 21 right now. Oh, my God. That's She gross. was born in 2001. <clears throat> that, this is, she's here at 21. They have something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if she's ever going to be, I want you to be my world champion as a drawing world champion. Because we know that world champions aren't always the draw um, with, the t- with the promotion. And, but Hart has a lot of potential. And just the growth that she's shown since she was appearing on Dark and getting a couple TV matches. This was excellent. And I gave this four stars. I didn't think it was overly phenomenal. But Statlander sometimes can work down... Uh, below her level and i thought she held up her end of the bargain really well this was this was great yeah it um was just a lot of fun i loved it um just great stuff a plus plus um which i mean was a four-star match but i mean for what i was expecting was a total success um next up hey was... i just want to say as my dogs are kind of surrounding me and you can you can see this is odie hi hey, odie. um this is why i was so excited to see the match because i was so intrigued how these two would work together and how it would come around because of where julia hart was and how we've seen chris statlander struggle against lesser opponents yeah and uh this was a good um this was a good example of uh both of them stepping up, really. I can't even say this was like uh, stat carrying the match or anything. I just thought it was a uh, a good performance by both of them. They both stepped up and did well, so mm-hmm. good on them. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, next up was a uh, four man or four way, I should say, tag match uh, for the to set up a match with FDR for the tag belts was the Guns, the Lucha Bros, Hooking Orange Cassidy. And the Young Bucks, and uh, I'm going to step away for one second to get a drink, but I thought this was fun, but, you know, also um, 
not as great as it could have been with some of the guys in there. But when you have the guns who aren't that great in the mat in the ring yet, um, and also Ray Phoenix like being super protected, you know, it, it was probably about what it should have been expected to be. I think. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. This match kind of felt for lack of a better term, lifeless. Uh, it was just a bunch of dudes doing spots. And I like that they have these kind of sh- uh, matches on the card, but I think they've gotten a little long in the tooth in this company. And, hey, let's just have four teams compete for a title shot. Can we really find a better way to get a title shot? Do we really have to do, hey, let's have another four-way? Uh, I we We're better than this. We can do better than this. And... It's just really annoying and frustrating that this is how things are continuing to grow and evolve with AEW. I I just think we're better. And it was still good. There was still some cool spots. And you had the Young Bucks get the win. And overall, it's really hard to to truly complain about this match, Fred. But as I said, while you were grabbing a a beverage quick, it it just felt lifeless. It just, I'm I'm sick of, hey, let's just do a four-way to... At crown a new champ or like a number one contender like we can do yeah, better we should they've do been leaning on, on that really hard and uh it'd be nice to just have a tag team storyline you know uh, to set that up but i feel like in this uh this spot it worked pretty reasonably well um if from a logic perspective because you know it it's a decent way to get us to young bucks ftr again without it you know so quickly without it feeling kind of contrived um so yeah um but i thought this was fun enough i mean it was a decently fun four-star match to me i thought it was uh pretty enjoyable and um you know not a not a must wreck my schedule to go see level match but you know good stuff all the same now what you need to go out of your way to see if you haven't is hangman page swerve strickland tyler i watched it it was good (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it ruled. Um, one of my favorite things in professional wrestling is Prince Nana. I love Prince Nana. He he's he's just he adds an element of fun. He is a <clears throat> manager without being involved in like literally every single match trying to change the outcome. He's a great second. Kind of reminds me of New Japan seconds where they'll come out and they just won't do anything. They're just there for support. I like that. Yeah, he's interfered a couple times, but it's not the entirety of his gimmick and this was great swerve was awesome this felt like a match to put swerve over in a big spot to get him ready for a potential title shot or like if you gave swerve a title run i ain't complaining he's awesome and this was great i gave it four and a half i thought these two worked really well together i thought they worked really hard um there was a couple really cool swerve spots where he did the double stomp where Hangman was hanging up from the top rope. Um, that that like step up kick he does to the side of the head is awesome. Yeah, this was just great. Uh, what have I been saying for a year now? Practically, Swerve is a main eventer. He has all the tools. He just needs the push, and we finally got that with this storyline. We finally got hey, let's treat Swerve Strickland like a main eventer, and thank God for that because the guy is so talented. Um. And it's this time, you know, I mean, you know, they don't have to put him in right now, but like, I feel like he's so ready for a, uh, 
for a spot like this. And I thought he really delivered well in this match. Uh, I thought he and Hangman just had a, a great outing. And I went four and three quarter stars on it and uh, loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, the the foot stomp on the uh, on the apron to Paige looked insane um, amongst other moves in this match. But this was fantastic and probably my second favorite match on the night. Yeah, I loved it. Um, it was hard hitting. It was explosive. It was just great. Um, four and a half here as well. I more Adam Hangman Page in AEW. And yeah. I think we can safely say or at least speculate that a lot of his absence was due to CM Punk. Well, he's back. And this rules. More, please. More, please. I also feel like there was a good amount of paternity leave in there, you know. Well, so he got paternity leave right before the um his right before he won the title at full gear in 2021. So I'm not gonna say you're wrong, but I'm that doesn't feel timing wise. It doesn't feel right. Yeah, but now he doesn't have that black cloud around him, and who knows what that could mean. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, little uh, little reference there to CM Punk. I'd have to be have to think. Um, next up, Ricky Starks and Wheeler. You know, this is they could definitely do better. These two, but this was just a little like, hey, let's get Ricky Starks a win here, kind of deal. Yeah, it was only like ten minutes. Yeah, it was just a nice little, like, you know, the story is this guy's better right now, and we're going to show that he's better and try to get him a little more momentum after, you know, a couple of losses to Brian Downson, which I don't think really um, hurts or anything. But, you know, it's just nice to keep him hot. Yes, I agree. Um, I think the best part about this match was John Moxley. Moxie on commentary for this and ZSJ, um, even though I haven't fully watched everything yet. Awesome stuff. Moxley on commentary. It's it's like if Don West morphed with a with a UFC fighter. It's just great stuff. Moxley lost so much money on commentary last night, but he was or Sunday night, but he was so entertaining. Uh, just a real blast having him. Um, it was authentic, and I think like when people talk about Don West as a commentator, they're like, "Oh, he he's he sucks. He doesn't fit the mold." Who cares if he doesn't fit the mold? Like the authenticity of Don West commentary was what made him so great, and I I, I genuinely appreciate that. Being authentic is so important for me when it comes to commentary because that that just does a lot for it. Yeah, right there, Fred. Yeah, I was trying to sneak in a bite of a uh, uh, granola bar. Try to pep me up a little bit. Um, this is a slight flu game for me, so trying to. Hey, sneak listen, in I was I had my I had my flu game last year, so. Uh, Daniel Cena, Zack Saber Jr. was perfect. It was exactly what you would have hoped for it to be. Um, and um, I mean, John Boxley. <laughs> At commentary, just going, holy shit. <laughs> was that if you told me I, I could be convinced that that was the best commentary moment of the year? Um, you know, it was such a great match. Um, 
and these two i mean just were made for each other and we're so lucky that we got to see them wrestle because honestly a few years ago it just seemed impossible um but now we got zach saber jr pretty much at the peak of his in-ring i have to think and uh danielson still got enough left that he can have great matches fortunately because he's just if you told me you thought he was the best in-ring wrestler of all time i could not argue with you um and uh, thank God we got Danielson outside of the WWE environment so he could get to see like what he can really do uh, unfettered. Um, and this was just perfect. I loved it so much. It, I can't say enough great things about it. Um, if Danielson hadn't got hurt and missed those couple months, I think we'd be having a real conversation about him in the, uh, you know, the uh, in-ring wrestler of the year. And maybe just AEW's MVP, you know, is another possibility. But yeah, this is great. Um, and then we got ourselves a, uh, a another great match: uh, the six-man tag with the Callus family against the uh, Babyface Alliance of the Golden Lovers and Chris Jericho. Hell yeah! I haven't watched this one yet either. Okay, I, well, I watched I'll... the two matches following this. That's but... good. I'll carry. I'll carry this one real quick then. Do um, it. This is just great. I mean, it's a great storyline. Um, you know, you've got the wrong heels, um, you know, turning face now against the uh, guy who claimed to be their friend but is still the ultimate heel and betrayed them all to but put his money on younger talent. And frankly, he was right in kayfabe, Don Callis. <laughs> now, it took a bunch of cheating to get there, but Don Callis is right because Kenny Omega has not won a big match since the um the turn chris jericho's lost i think every match since the turn except for the sam guevara one where guevara turned on him Mm -hmm. um and that led to this match yeah and this is a really good storyline this is really solid and um i enjoyed this a lot i thought the work in this was really good kota ibushi had his best outing in AEW to date i still think he's probably more or less shot uh, but he looked better and was protected um, so that he could, you know, do his stuff and look cool for a little bit. And, um, but yeah, he was definitely the least involved person in this match. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was just a, a great face versus heel all star tag and very fun. I, I went think four, the l- four and a half on it. I think the lack of in-ring time in general for Ibushi is hindering him more than being washed because I think he's not what he was before he got injured, but I also think he's better than what he's been performing at. But you you talk to wrestlers, and if you've been out for a long time, it it can mess with you, and for some it messes with people differently. Obviously, uh, mm-hmm. the the um, the young bucks had talked about how after having two months off and not taking a bump with the brawl out fallout. Like they they took the first bump. They're like, Ooh, yeah, that sucks. Like, yeah, it's, it's just different. And being out for basically Obushi was essentially out for a year and a half. He didn't wrestle. That's a long time. It's a long time to not be in the ring. Yeah. And, I and think he's not exactly working a, a weekly schedule now either. No. I think having a few matches in his belt because you have blood and guts, you have Wembley, and now you have Wrestle Dream. I think you're starting to see some of that rust kick off. I do think there is an element of him being washed, but I think it's overblown to an extent. 
I think he's going to be end up being fine, but he's not what Abushi used to be. Yeah, I mean he he's a hundred percent. He's lost his his best step, and it's really just a question of how much he's got left in the tank right now. And maybe it's unfair to judge him harshly because of you know rust, like you said. Um, but you know, uh, I I still have. I definitely have concerns about him, uh, but we'll see. Um, you know, it, it, I don't think it's helping at all to have him only come in every uh, three months and work. Like, I think we need to have Kota Ibushi in on a regular schedule for at least a month just to have him, like, get used to wrestling, you know. But um, Okay, next up is the World Tag Team Championship match between Aussie Open and FTR. And given how much I loved their matches last year... um. It's kind of a disappointment, and I hate to say that, but they're really good teams, and this match just... Uh, and maybe, you know, like I said in my review that I wrote, uh, I may have been fatigued. This may have been a... Uh, if the show has been going on a long time, and I'm old and um, getting tired, but it just did not hit like I hoped it would. Now, the closing stretch was fantastic, uh, but and I ended up going like four and a quarter because of how good that was, but it felt like the first half of this match was just kind of a waste. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I'm trying to think of where to start here. I I did like the the end of this match where uh, Aussie Open hit the big rig, but it looked like shit because they normally don't hit the big rig, and and uh, Kyle Fletcher basically just need uh, Cat yeah. Wheeler in the head. I thought and this that was, was a kind case, of stick. It- yeah, and, and frankly, it probably didn't work because Mark Davis had a broken wrist. Um, and honestly, this was like, you know, sometimes people, you know, I think there's an evolution when you're a wrestling fan about how at first you get obsessed with botches, right? So you can like point and go like, ah, that didn't go right. See, I know that. I'm smart. Look at me, right? Yeah. I think there's some extent of that. Sometimes botches don't hurt a match. Sometimes they can actually aid it. And I think this was kind of a case of that. Um, the big rig did not go like it was supposed to when Aussie Open did it. But like you said, for kayfabe reasons and for physical reasons, um, it makes sense in a way. And it didn't detract from the match for me. Um, and maybe I'm out on like Weirdo Island with this take, but I think that's a, that, that's a way I view wrestling is, you know, if mistakes happen, that doesn't necessarily mean like, it was bad. You know, sometimes it could actually work out better that way. Yeah. I, I agree there. I think, um, I don't want to sound like the weird Chris Chiarco take he had a few months ago. That was like, I've never botched, which is, you know, because any mistake is, is actually intentional kind of thing. Like that, that's crazy. But like, this was a, this, you know, this didn't hurt. I don't think at all. No, I, I thought it, it absolutely helped. Um, this was this was a good match. Four stars. I went four and a quarter on it. Um, again, that closing stretch really bailed it out. I thought, and it was fantastic. It was a great last like six or seven minutes. And if the whole match had been like that, we would have been talking about that as like a match of the year contender. Yeah. But we didn't get these two of you before. Yeah. All right. Main event. 
Darby Allen versus was, Christian Cage, two out of three falls. I, I honestly, I only went four and a quarter on this, and I still kind of feel like maybe I underrated it. But I thought it. I I I just want to point ro- this out. It rolled. Fuck you. Yeah, it was great. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it was fantastic. It, it was a better. In my mind, it was a better story than a match, maybe. I think that's maybe why I, I feel that way about my own rating. Um, I, I think that's why I rated it as highly as I did, because I gave this... Um, I almost went four and three quarters. I went four and a half plus. This was nice. excellent in every facet. They, I loved how Darby got the first fall. And yeah, that was nice. Then I figured I figured Christian was going to get the, the next two. Um, mm-hmm. But... The way he got him, he got the count out with the stairs, and then, um, well, I can't remember how he got the final fall. Did was it hitting the kill switch on the on the exposed mat? Yeah, um, maybe twice. I honestly forget. But um... yeah. look, this was phenomenal. Um, Darby took a bunch of hellacious, hellacious bumps, and. It worked out so well because of it. Yeah, it was um, really impressive. I mean, it was fantastic stuff. Um, fit perfectly into the Darby Christian storyline. Um, and I love this match, Christian Cage. It, it you know it, it's been talked about a lot, and Christian ripped into it. I think uh, after the not. I think at the last pay-per-view's press conference, maybe, maybe it was this one. Um, they talked about how, you know, he kind of, when he came in, people were like, oh, you know, Tony Khan overhyped him. He's not that good. And he's been fantastic. Um, I, my promo of the year right now. Um, and I think just like a, a cornerstone of AEW. And he's just been a fantastic performer. And, Fan, like the best heel in wrestling right now, I think is is fair to say. Christian Cage is the best wrestler in the world, not named the Last Right. <laughs> I, I'm fine I can't argue. I can't say you're wrong. <laughs> is Okada better in the ring? Yes. I'm sorry. This whole Christian character, and l- let's transition this to talking about the one really really good thing on Dynamite, and that was Adam Copeland coming down. Look, I'm very high on this Adam Copeland thing. You know why? The energy is there. He, you can tell he's excited about this. He wants to be here. He wants this, this to be great. He's, this Rob isn't Van a money Dam grab. Booker T and Impact. This is this dude is passionate about pro wrestling, and he wants to be creative and do cool shit. And I'm very excited about that. We'll see how that manifests. I like that he's going to be doing stuff with Christian Cage because they have a huge rapport. And they've been doing stuff together for decades. They're yeah. childhood best friends. I like that element of it. I think that's objectively great when it comes to how to project out this Chris or this edge run. But I love that he's. You could tell he just cares and he wants this. It's not a money grab. I'm sure he's making a ton of money, but it's not a money grab. And I think that's dope. Um, yeah, he's working. And, he's working, and Christian's working too. You know, we talked about the crazy bumps that Darby took, but Christian did a frog splash off the top onto a guy on a stretcher. I mean, obviously that sucked for Darby, but it wasn't exactly safe for Christian either. 
Christian is doing stuff he doesn't have to do because he loves this business. He doesn't have to do any of this. And yeah. he's doing it. And, oh, oh the, the Darby roll-up. I thought the best part about it, he rolled Christian's turtleneck over his face. And got yes, that was great. Out. And then Christian, the, the consummate pro, runs out of the ring and is standing around shocked with his turtleneck still up over his head. What a worker. Yeah. What a but worker. I, I, the reason why I wanted to transition, we obviously had the Adam Copeland debut afterwards. Yes. What, which, one, it was a great debut overall. But, two, you're coming out to save a guy who's about to get a traumatic brain injury from a concerto, and you're yeah. doing your pyro? <laughs> I, I thought that sucked. That was very WWE, I will say. Yeah. I will say that was – I think that's really the only part of the uh, Adam Copeland debut slash, you know, uh, Dynamite debut that felt extremely WWE-ish. Uh, everything else has just felt like pro wrestling, and, and I – you know, there is a difference there. Um, but, it, you know, it's the uh, – Jeff Hardy did the same thing a few weeks ago or a month ago now, I guess – when he came back to save Matt Hardy from a beatdown, he had to get his dance in and everything. <laughs> and like, ah, man, I, I Adam Copeland, uh, I, other than that, and he does deserve ripped on for that because it was a little ridiculous. Like, oh, I want to save the legend Sting from being murdered. But first, uh, hey, everyone, I'm over on this side of the stage. Hey, everyone, I'm over on this other side of the stage. Look at my pyro. Woo! Uh, stupid. <laughs> but... I mean, everything else, the, uh, the the timing of the stare down, the fake uh, heel turn, turning into a face turn, um, and then everything on Wednesday night, um, I thought it all worked really well with him, and this is a good start for him, and I hope it keeps up. Um, hey, Fred, I, give, me, give me an air hug real quick. Go fuck yourself. That segment, okay, um, first of all, it continues the Adam Copeland s- says a thousand words while an AEW wrestler owns him thing. <laughs> that, that meme that's been going on for a couple years now um, with the super dramatic music that I can't think of the title of. Uh, but, yeah, like, that was a great segment. Like, Copeland did a nice promo. He did the great, uh, I'm happy to be here. Think of all these great matches I could have that Tony Khan may never book <laughs> because <laughs> it involves putting two stars against each other. <laughs> um, uh, he probably should have been like, and me versus Lee Moriarty, who I'll beat on a rampage in three months. Um, I, I would love to see Lee Moriarty against Adam Copeland. That's not a joke. Um but yeah, and, and so we get you know this really good babyface promo, and I thought it was perfectly solid. I thought it was it was good. I thought it was a nice way to introduce yourself on the TV show, and then he gets Christian out there, and uh, they get the emotional hug, <laughs> then Christian going just go just edited out of course, but saying go fuck yourself, and leaving. Perfect, 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 perfect. No notes. Um, turning around at the top of the ramp and nailing not only hyping hit Edge's you know debut match or Copeland's debut match in AEW, but also the fact that it's on a Tuesday night next week for Dynamite. Consummate pro, Christian Cage. I hope that once he retires, he gets he, he stays around in wrestling 
uh, you know, agenting or booking or both or whatever it takes to keep him involved. He is a genius. Um, mm-hmm. And I think he's kind of been underappreciated for large chunks of his career. I'll again point to the reaction when he debuted being just kind of meh from a lot of people, like acting like they were underwhelmed. This guy is so good. And we're really lucky to have him active again. And, uh, you know, I would love to see a career renaissance for Adam Copeland and AEW. I think that would be fantastic. Um, and I just hope he's able to pull it off. Yeah, I, I think that this is going to end up being really good. And I, I'm really excited for it. This is this is just going to be a lot of fun. And... I don't know where this is going to go, but I, I love the idea of uh, Adam leaving WWE because he wanted to one last run with Christian and Christian's like, no, yeah. there, I think it's going to happen, but it's going to take some time and I'm okay waiting because this could be a really fun feud. And now you have edge quasi um, aligned with sting and Darby Allen, which rules. And you know, edge is going to come out in full sting face paint. Oh yeah, Edge is a, an absolute dork. Um, yeah, I don't mean that insulting. I mean that. In no, that he's way. a wrestling dork. That's good. Yeah. You know. Yeah, Odie. I yes, you, you're excited about Edge too. Um, yeah, it. This is going to be awesome. Um, yeah, I, I'm really excited, and um... we should do one last thing before we go. Um, we have to talk about the concern about every program being good except the world championship program. Oh, buddy. Uh, look, okay, I do want to talk about that on Dynamite Summit. I want to specifically talk about the pre tape with Adam Cole and that uh, it was so not nice. We had to see it twice. Um, oh. um, look, the only thing it was missing is like, let me tell you about my best friend. <laughs> That bullshit song. Oh god, yeah. I wanted, I wanted to like, think. Oh, I, I'm not even I, gonna see what I want to do. If I could go the rest of my life without ever seeing another pre-tape with Adam Cole making wacky faces, it'd be too soon um, for me. To, you know, it just, I, I don't want to see this ever again. I, you know, you could argue that some of it's amusing a little bit, um, sure, but I. <laughs> I'm just burnt out on it uh, because it's, I don't like it and it's not entertaining to me. It's not fun. It's not funny. Um, I just don't want this in my wrestling. And, you know, I've, I've talked about enjoying some parts of it. Like I, I, some of the, you know, the, the sketch, what, two weeks ago now where Roddy was in the hospital, you know, it had some funny parts. There have been other parts of the Adam Cole MJF stuff that I've enjoyed, mainly the in-ring stuff. Every There's like one line in most of those pre-tapes that would pop me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just, I've turned on this so much at this point that like, I just don't enjoy it. I think it's really cringeworthy. I think it's kind of embarrassing. Uh, it's not, I'm not, I don't like it. And, you know, I, I thought that I had, uh, you know, I enjoyed some sports entertainment type stuff. But, like, this stuff has just hit a point where I abhor it. Um, and I, I just can't deal with this anymore. I, 
I hate it. I don't, you know, and maybe I, I don't see any indication, you know, in terms of uh, business numbers that it's doing anything impressive. It feels like it's, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily hurting the business of AEW, but it's sure as hell not lifting it up. Yeah. And, um, and I think it's actively hurting the quality of shows. And to me, this would be a pretty clear, we got to pull the plug on this kind of thing. Um, I probably would have a higher tolerance for it if it was just in the mid card and it wasn't like 20 to 30 minutes per show sometimes. Mm-hmm. Entire MJF universe because you know we used to joke about the Cody verse you know uh, fans did back when he was doing his stuff like segregated from everything else on the show but for the most part it was never this much of a television show it would be like 10-15 minutes tops and this is like twice the length of that yeah and you know it's such a large chunk of the show and you know, there's all these reports that MJF is uh, booking his own stuff and has that power. Um, and, you know, he just obviously, you know, with the contract situation and everything, they, they want to keep him. I mean, it's pretty apparent. And they have him extended to, I forget exactly how long. But, you know, you don't want to upset the young stud you have and, like, have him leave. But at the same time, I just think this is untenable. And I think you just have to pull the plug on the storyline sooner rather than later. And mm-hmm. I have no confidence that they're going to, unfortunately. I don't either. I hate this. This is not what I want for my AEW. It's not what most people want from their AEW. At least I, the people I talk to. Yeah. But this is this is fixing. bad, bad WWE stuff. And like you can, I you know. I'm not one of those guys that is so reactionary that's like, you cannot do anything WWE has done in the past 20 years. Like, there's, you know, I don't think you need to pretend that, like, everything WWE has done in that time period sucks and is completely bad. You can have some humor in your wrestling. You can have some some sports entertainment, for lack of a better term. You know, you can do some of this stuff. But this, in particular, is... The wrong people in the wrong spot, and it's just not good. It's not good enough to make it work. And I just, I can't. I, I hate it, and uh, I am begging them to rework this approach because it's gotten to a real point of like, I, I really do think the righteous match was a turning point. Um, I think because it was just such a one-sided burial of an up-and-coming act. Because, I mean, in wrestling history, when have people ever got invested in a creepy character? Sarcastic. <laughs> um, but, like, you know, it felt like that they could have been something. I'm not saying, like, Dutch and Vincent main eventers, you know, necessarily. But they could have been productive guys. And they still can. I don't want to make it sound like they're now dead. You know, they've been murdered by MJF and their bodies are decaying in a ditch somewhere. But, like, you build them up for two weeks and then you, you have them lose a match in that fashion where they're treated like total geeks. Um, you're supposed to, the characters are supposed to have some menace to them, especially Dutch. And instead, they're just portrayed as goofballs. And it's just really damaging. I, I don't know how else to put it. Like, it's, you're kind of cannibalizing your own roster and it would be one thing if like the people MJF was doing this to were low card geeks, like established geeks, like people that were not going anywhere. Like if it was Kip Sabian, if it was Sean Spears, 
Um, these guys who um, just obviously are not going to get a big push anytime soon in AEW. Um, QT Marshall would be perfect as the geek on the other side of this stuff. But you can't have your world champion in storylines with Sean Spears and QT Marshall and, you know, Aaron Solo and these other, like, lower mid-card jobber to the star types. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just a real misuse of your world championship and your young stud wrestler, one of your best performers, one of the industry's best performers. Um and like I've still got MJF, and you know I'm working on my FSM top fifty ballot. You know I'm continually updating it. I've got MJF, like even with his reduced schedule and everything, and I think the number of matches you work matters. I've still got him on the verge of the top fifty. If he was just working regular matches, like the dog collar match and stuff, like working actual high intensity matches that were, you know, good matches, like he'd easily be a top twenty five worker at worst. I feel like. He's a really good wrestler, and obviously he's a fantastic promo. And I feel like his creativity has really fallen off in promos. Uh, his match quality obviously has gone to the wayside just because of the full shtick uh, turn. And I just can't. I it's he he's misusing himself, and in a way he's his own worst enemy. And it's really disappointing, and it's really frustrating, and. We just need to, we need to shift direction. We need to change it, and we need to figure out a way to get this back on track. Just put us in charge of the booking. Look, I uh, I'm not crazy enough to think I could be a uh, head booker of a of a wrestling promotion overnight. Um, though then again, I mean, hey, Tony Khan did it. Why can't I? Right? Maybe I could do that. Uh, but I do feel like I could I could be like, listen, this is dumb. Please don't do this. Mm-hmm. Like, we need someone that is empowered to say that to MJF. And I'm really worried that we don't. Yeah. I'll say it. MJF, your shit sucks. And that's the show today. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to leave it at that. You can follow us on Twitter at um, GoodBadHungy. You can follow me on Twitter at the Real Forno. You can follow Fred on the Blue Sky, which only yes. has about five people. But Fred is one of them. Hey. If you want to talk to him it's an easy way to do so you can also ask us a question by emailing us at hungrypot at gmail.com or sending us a message in the voices of wrestling discord thank you very much for listening and have a great day everyone take care now hi i'm case low co-host of the open the voice gate podcast the one question i'm constantly asked when it comes to dragon gate is how do i get into the promotion well stop asking and start listening to the open the voice gate podcast released every wednesday on the voices of wrestling podcasting network for exclusive news and show reviews look no further than the leader in dragon gate coverage open the voice gate